thousand strikeouts for the masterful Jacob DeGrom. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, September the 28th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on iTunes. It'll be greatly appreciated. Hope everybody's doing well at it was one of those situations where I said, let's do a midweek podcast. I always talked about, you know, these kind of these mini podcasts, but it's going to be a little bit more than that because I have a pretty fun guest that I had a chance to catch up with last night. Uh, Mark Simon, uh, formerly of ESPN, worked on Baseball Tonight, wrote at ESPN.com, uh, Sports Info Solutions he's working uh, for now. So, I mean, he's a guy that's written about the Mets, you know, Mets – Big Mets fan and uh, has been on the show in the past, so wanted to bring him on and, and get his take on what was a really cool night at. And you heard the uh, the clip coming in at City Field on uh, on Wednesday, and we talk about the, we'll talk about the Grom, uh, get his uh, feelings as a kind of a preamble to the big uh, David Wright send off on Saturday, and maybe a little bit about this odd, statistically extreme season, but. I'm not going to get too much into the Mets as a team. I think, really for me, um, you know, last night, these kind of moments and lost seasons, it was one of those nights that it wasn't a huge crowd at City Field. It would have been nice if they were in the pennant race. I think that would have been a, a real fun City Field Mets moment with a big crowd and an ovation and things. But it's one of those nights that you get goosebumps. It, it makes a bad season worth it. And... When they do win and when the team is good, the buildup in these seasons or the things that you experience and, and the frustrations and the highs and the lows, it just makes those special seasons that much more special. It, it makes it worth going through all the nonsense and the amount of disappointment that comes with being a sports fan. You know, for DeGrom, I've always been a big DeGrom fan. Did I think he was this level good or had the ability to be this level good, which is a season that's top 20 all-time in baseball history? Of course not. But DeGrom won me over Game 5, and I've said this before on the show, Game 5 of the 2015 NLDS against the Dodgers. Didn't have much, was about to get the doors blown off of him, and he winds up getting them through six innings, only giving up a couple of runs, giving the Mets an opportunity to tie the game, giving them an opportunity to take the lead, Handed off to the bullpen, and you know what happened there. Syndergaard and Familia closed it out. And after that, I said, that's the guy you want on the mound in a big spot. And nothing has changed, even with some bumps in the road and the surgery for the nerve and and all that. He's always been the guy. He's everything that I think Matt Harvey never was going to be. 
He's a competitor. There's nothing about cartoon characters. He's tough. And yeah, I know Harvey was injured and he got, you know, some odd, you know, freaky things. Tommy John's, you know, natural thing, but scapular and, and, you know, the nerve issues. I mean, those are just odd type of things that I, I don't, I don't necessarily know if you can point to abuse or innings, but really when the going got tough with Matt Harvey, he behaved badly. Uh, he showed a bad side to him. DeGrom has always been able to turn, you know, lemonade from lemons. Well, lemons into lemonade. What's the saying go? Yeah, who knows? Does it matter? And I've always admired that. And he talked about, actually, Gary Cohn brought it up on the program, on the broadcast uh, last night, how going into this season, one of the things that he felt was a big difference was that he just knows the league. It's like things start to click for a pitcher. That's why when I read Joel Sherman and I read all these guys saying, well, you got to trade it. It'll never be better than this. Well, look, this is an historically great season. I said back in August there wasn't a narrative, and the difference between he and Nola and Scherzer uh, wasn't enough to him to get the Cy Young, especially if he had a losing record. Well, he, he gets the, the winning record. Those two guys, as great as they've been, Scherzer's been really good, so is Nola. Uh, maybe not great, really good. They dropped off a little bit, and the gap is enough where DeGrom, if you look at all the numbers, is statistically the right choice to win the Cy Young. I mean, he's better when it comes to everything but wins. And we know with starting pitching in an era of bullpen, that's not exactly the easiest thing to control for anybody. But I laugh about how you got to trade him. Dan Patrick said this today on, on, on his program. Well, what makes you say that he's not having an aha moment, an arrival? And why would you trade that? See, that to me is the difference between playing fantasy baseball and dealing assets and getting off on winning the offseason or winning trades versus understanding how a ball club is built. Because if you have a guy like Jacob deGrom at age 30, which is not exactly old, I know all of a sudden now 30 is this, oh my God, it's... You're over the hill. Uh, yeah, I know. No more PEDs. No more this, that. Everybody wants a 19-year-old. But remember something. There's a lot of value and wisdom. There's a lot of value and experience. And if 30 is over the hill, then we got a lot of problems in sports. Because by the time players get good and figured out, you're ready to throw them out the door, that's a problem. But a guy like this, you give a contract extension. What's he going to demand? You know, Tim Britton actually retweeted an article from The Athletic earlier this year where he talked about maybe having a contract where there's an opt-out, similar, similar to Jake Arrieta. I, I think you go out there and the thing, and Britain brings it up in the piece, you you sign a guy like this because, and I think DeGrom has to want to sign, and I think that's why his agent is pushing the Mets to that. Because if you go out into the market when you're 32, 33, a lot could happen in the next couple of years. You don't know. Uh, you also, you know, in this day and age of ageism, and it really is, there's a lot of ageism in baseball now, especially in the al analytics era. Uh, a guy at 32, they're going to ding him for being just 32. They don't care how good he is. Now, if he's still dominant, he has another couple of these, you know, historic, maybe not as good, but up in that realm seasons, there'll be somebody to give him big money and, and bring him in to help them win a championship. 
but that's a risk for DeGrom, and obviously it's a risk for the Mets to, to, to not jump on it. I think you go in there, I think a five-year, $125 million deal might do it. You know, you, as, as DeGrom and his agent, they'd have to say, you know, you know, you're not, you never know what you're going to get in an arbitration the next couple of years. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know what the market's going to be like, and, and that's not uh, a slam dunk. And the reason why you're the Mets and you do this is because you want that anchor on your rotation. You want that guy every five days that makes everybody better, sets the gold standard. And that's been missing for a long, 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 long time. And you thought Matt Harvey was going to be that guy. Johan Santana, to a certain degree, was that guy. Pedro Martinez was that guy when he was healthy. But that was one of the reasons why... You know, Tom Glavin was, you know, he was, he was uh, had a lot of moxie and he was a, a crafty veteran, but he wasn't at that level when he was with the Mets. They haven't really had that. They certainly had a, haven't had a homegrown player in his prime doing that. So this is the guy you want to build that staff around. And because you really don't know who your everyday player, who your quote-unquote leader is, maybe this guy in the interim could help you kind of wade through it and figure it out. And... If I'm the Mets, I point to all these pitchers and say, that's who you want to be. You want to be able to navigate through games when you don't have your best stuff. You want to approach this with the ultimate level of competitiveness. You want to go out there and be great and and and, and be a thinking pitcher, not just a thrower. Who's next? Who can be the next one to jump in? Is it Syndergaard? Is it Wheeler? I'll tell you what, I was amazed at how good Wheeler's second half was. 9-1, about a 1.68 ERA. He's been every bit as good as DeGrom in the second half. And I thought I read somewhere where DeGrom even talked about he, you know, maybe it was Matt's, but he talked about how he had spoken to John Smoltz and, and, he, and he talked about throwing in between starts. And I'm saying to myself, man, if John Smoltz, who tortured the Mets for so long, one of the things that he brings is a value activity for these guys to get themselves to the next level we've been waiting for these guys to bring their games to the next level not the height not the flashes that you saw in 2015 the next level i mean that's exciting and you know i don't know i think wheeler could be that guy and i've been so down on wheeler i really have uh, i'm more down on Syndergaard right now even though he's had a good september and he's had an, an odd year with an odd injury uh, I wish he would. I really think he should look back. If anybody, Syndergaard should look back and say, how can I be more like Jake? And I'm not talking about cutting his hair, but how can I be more like him? How can I lose some of the goofiness and the stuff that doesn't matter, the Cobra Kai things he does in the post game and the Mr. Met tweets and the, the, the cartoon stuff? Like, that's all fine, but you want to know something? This is about winning and pitching, and it's not just about muscling through stuff. Even Wheeler. Wheeler has worked on his mechanics. Uh, his last start in Philadelphia, when uh, he didn't have, you know, he had a, a rough inning, he, he mitigated the damage. You're not always going to be dominant. You know, DeGrom is, is, is going to have points in the, in the future where he's not going to have the ability just to muscle through every bases loaded situation. He's going to eventually have a clunker. And maybe that clunker, instead of being seven or eight runs in four innings, could be six or seven innings, four or five runs, it keeps the Mets at least within the, you know, depending on the offense that night of winning the game. So to me, you sign Jacob deGrom. He's going to win the Cy Young, you know, this year. Uh, and you sign this guy and you 
make him the centerpiece of that rotation and you make everybody revolve around him because a guy like that makes you better. Period in the story. So fun stuff. Uh, Jacob deGrom uh, looks like he clinched the Cy Young Award with his uh, performance uh, two nights ago. Uh, David Wright's uh, final game coming up in just uh, 24 hours. Well, hopefully the weather will hold up. It should be an interesting night. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. So let's take a quick break. When we return, you'll hear my conversation with Mark Simon. Mark, formerly of ESPN.com, ESPN Baseball Tonight, Sports Info Solutions. Mark's a big numbers guy. Has a book out that he wrote about the Yankees called Yankees Index. And uh, get his feel on DeGrom, the Cy Young, the craziness of this statistical season, the extremism of the Mets on both ends of the spectrum, the oddity of the Cy Young race. And let's get his thoughts on David Wright. And David Wright's not only his final game, but his standing within the team history and and potentially where he stands with the third baseman all the time. So we'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. That was kind of my focus this year. Um, one pitch at a time and, you know, here it is. Let's go right after guys. Um, so, um, I'm, yeah, I mean, looking back now, I guess it's kind of crazy that, you know, there wasn't really a hiccup. But, um, you know, I think it was looking into kind of what happened before and trying to make that adjustment, not letting the game speed up on me. I was definitely excited. Uh, like I told uh, Steve, I knew I needed 10 strikeouts to get to 1,000. told Devin before the game, and that was kind of the goal tonight. And I looked up there after three innings. I was like, I only got three. I'm going to have to start trying to strike some more people out. <laughs> so um, very happy with how the night went. Um, you know, McNeil, how many plays did he make behind me? That was impressive. So thanks to him. I, I've never seen anything like it, so I don't think I can really describe it, uh, you know, well or, or compare it to anything I've ever seen or probably anything that's happened in, in, a, in a very long time. So. Uh, for me, it, it's just watching a dominant starter and the best pitcher in baseball every five days uh, for as many starts as he made um, was was special. And, you know, obviously I have a passion for pitching, and it's fun to watch uh, the best pitcher in baseball go out there that many times. Uh, I, I guess. I mean, I don't. you're going to have to ask who votes. Uh, but I feel like I, I wish I had more wins, like I said, but it is what it is. And... Um, I feel like I put myself in a pretty good position. We're back, and uh, you heard uh, Jacob DeGrom there. And uh, joining me is an old friend of the show. It's been a while since we talked to him. You remember him from ESPN, Baseball Tonight. I wrote about the Mets, MLB. also has a book out about the Yankees. He's now with uh, Sports Info Solutions. It's Mark Simon at Mark A. Simon Says. And what better time to have him on, a numbers guy with uh, Jacob DeGrom and the Cy Young. And, and, you know, following him on Twitter last night, there was a ton of numbers that we could get into. Mark, uh, pleasure to have you on the program. Lost season for the Mets, but a little bit of excitement these final few days with what happened at uh, City Field last night. It was cool that Jacob DeGrom's last start of the season was arguably his best start of the season. He had no hit stuff. Uh, he finished with a flourish, a lot of strikeouts, no walks, a couple of hits. Uh, it, it put his numbers to a very nice uh, conclusion, uh, and I think it solidified his uh, Cy Young case even a little bit further. It was interesting because back in August, I was taking a look at his numbers, Aaron Nola, Scherzer, and look, 
the Groms were great even back then, but the gap between the three was pretty close. And I said, the issue I have at the time he was under 500, which I know is not the biggest thing in the world, but that still plays into, I guess, some of the voters. Nolan and Scherzer were not as good statistically, but there wasn't this huge gap. Now, I think a couple of things happened. The Grom continued to dominate, and he established somewhat of a narrative. You need somewhat a little bit of a narrative, I think, to to get the voters behind you. And then Scherzer and Nola, they dropped off. Both have excellent winning percentages. Uh, Nola, I thought if he was in a pennant race or maybe won a division and was a big part of that, might have got more consideration. If you go to Baseball Reference, wins above replacement has them all jumbled together. But at the end of the day, the secondary numbers, I think, are really amazingly, as I looked at them today, the gap between DeGrom and those two guys. And Kyle Freeland on the outside, I mean, that's nobody talks about him. He's had a pretty good year. Um, yeah, that, I think, is absolutely. the big difference. You know, you know, That's the difference. I think DeGrom has, has widened the gap. And I, I, I didn't expect him to win the Cy Young. But now, after the last 30 days, I, I guess it would be hard for him, him not to. And it sounds like from a straw yeah. poll that he will, uh, you know, based on what I've, we've been reading. I think that he will. I think it will be reasonably close, but I think it's it's his right now. I think the electorate, uh, and I don't know necessarily who has the votes, but just based on the last couple of years, the electorate uh, might have a couple people on it that are glued to the idea that wins are still of the highest or one of the highest uh, significances, and they'll vote for Scherzer as a result. I don't think that that will necessarily cost the ground the award. Uh, his numbers, as you said, there was a little, uh, imp- a very steady move by his numbers and a, just a slight drop in NOLA and Scherzer. And there's no shame in a NOLA or Scherzer vote. Uh, I mean, shoot, uh, Scherzer struck out 300 and pitched to a 2-5, which in a lot of years would win the award. He's won a few. It's someone else's turn. Uh, and Nola's numbers are almost as good as Scherzer's, and he did it uh, in, with the worst defense in baseball by far behind him. Uh, so he deserves considerable credit for that. Uh, but in the end, I think DeGrom is just a, a little bit better at the end, and I think that's how it's going to come out. Good for him. And do you throw? I'm going to throw this one out at you. And I, I think DeGrom's numbers are still so much better than Scherzer's. But if Scherzer had never done the kind of season he's having before, look, he, he's won. 20 games before he's he's won Cy Young awards uh, multiple times. Would it be harder for the Grom? Would the record stand out more? I know the peripheral numbers. Uh, the electorate the electorate is much more advanced, much more progressive. But to me, I think what helps the Grom a little is Scherz has been there, done that, and maybe people say, eh, "Do I want to <laughs> vote for Scherzer again?" You know, I know it's probably not the ultimate thing, but it's it's something I've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks. I think it's a good subtle point. Uh, I don't think you can necessarily get into the mind of anybody, but it would make sense that uh, that it, when given how close it is, and the fact that if if you put ERA up there, if you put uh, if you put home runs allowed uh, per inning, and you put strikeout to walk uh, ratio up there, and you look at all the the combinations of numbers, it it's difficult to conclude that Scherzer is the better of the two, unless you put the wins uh, idea in. If you want to do that, so be it. But I don't think that there are enough people that are going to do that, that it would be costly to DeGrom. And as you said, I, I do think you're right on that. I think there was a good narrative behind DeGrom. Uh, he's a, he's yeah. a good guy from every understanding. He's good with the media. Uh, he, uh, he's 
he's a he's the kind of player you would want to have represent the sport, uh, at least from the outside. There's so many. And by the way, we have Mark Simon uh, with us. You guys remember him from ESPN uh, Baseball Tonight, uh, longtime friend of the show. There's so many fun numbers to go about. But what really amazes me is that, and I'd be curious, some of the, the ones that have popped out to you in this historic season for DeGrom. Yeah, you could talk about Gooden and Seaver from a Mets perspective, but depending on what you look at, guys, Clayton Kershaw, Christy Mathewson, uh, Pedro Martinez, uh, I mean, Walter very, Johnson. very, yeah, Walter Johnson. I mean, these are not, you know, run-of-the-mill names here. Uh, and, and I think from day one, the Grom, he never had a cartoon character name. He's He had the long hair, but he cut it. Uh, he's always been the guy that goes out there and grinds it out. And this year, he just took it to another level. But in context, it's just amazing the company he's he's, he's in right now. What are some of the eye-popping numbers that – this season has developed for DeGrom and has produced for DeGrom? It's a very simple one. If you take pitchers with an ERA that low at a, a strikeout total that high uh, for him, the last pitcher to do that did it before ERA was even a stat. Uh, that was Walter Johnson in 1912. Uh, ERA didn't, didn't become official in both leagues so like a, a year or so later. Um, and Walter Johnson is considered the greatest pitcher uh, along with Cy Young of that time period. And then uh, we're talking 106 years and you can do all sorts of combinations that are going to produce uh, similar type numbers. I still would say that the Dwight Gooden 85 season is the best in my baseball fan lifetime, which begins in 81, 82. And you've got the good, the, uh, Greg Maddox and the Pedro Martinez amazing seasons where their ERAs are like a third of what the league ERA was. Uh, I think those are the the standard setters. The ground's definitely uh, knocking on the door of that tier uh, with what he did this season. So historical yeah, perspective, ERA. historical perspective, other than the wins is this is a, I guess you would call it off the chain uh, kind of season for uh, for a pitcher. Yeah, it is amazing. And and if you look at ERA plus, I mean Jacob DeGrom now with this particular season is in the Yeah, two nineteen. Um, he's in the top twenty all time. You know, I go back to nineteen hundred. I, I throw out and I know maybe there's debate on that. I throw out anybody before nineteen hundred, it gets kinda crazy when you start. Yeah, to when the man was in, different but, distance and when it was a whole bunch of extra Yeah, I've had debates with historians. Yeah, I was like it's a know, different I game. have a hard time taking it seriously. Uh, when you're, you know, the, the league is closer at that time to the Civil War than 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 it is to uh, modern times. So right, um, this is yeah, this I mean, is like Gidry twenty five and three, except it doesn't have the twenty five and three attached to it. Yeah, yeah, and that, I think someone had, had had called in to talk radio, and I don't know if this is true. I didn't do the number crunching, but if the Mets had just scored two runs in some of the Grom starts, he'd be like twenty and six. It's it's historically <laughs> amazing how they, they didn't score for him. And, and the funny part is, Mark, as a numbers guy, who's always trying to find logic. That's the part that's illogical. Like, they couldn't score for the guy, ever, ever. Yep. And it was like they were allergic to scoring. Yeah, that's the only part that makes this a shame, that he's got the 10-9 the and nine record, um, even in an era where wins aren't as valuable. Uh, it would be nice to have the 20 wins or the 24-4, and four. Uh, do you think, do you do you think it takes away a little bit from it from you from a you know I guess a fan perspective not from a logical 
Uh, I think it makes uh, me remember it more. I think it makes me remember it more because because of the fact that he ha- it took until the last start to get over 500 through the season uh, to get to 10 and 10 and nine and uh, 10 and nine is uh, I'm glad that that happened. Because, uh, I'm glad that he ended up on the winning side because it would have been a very uncomfortable and unpleasant debate uh, if he had finished nine and 10 instead. Yeah, and and what's also fun to look at is that he's not the first pitcher in modern era to struggle with wins. You know, you know, uh, uh, you've had that before. You know, uh, King Felix out in Seattle, but in 2005, Roger Clemens had a very good season uh, coming back to the National League his second year. Uh, he had won the Cy Young the year before with 18 wins, four losses. He was 13 and eight with a 1.87 ERA, 2.26 ERA plus. Better than, I think, that ERA plus. That's his best season in his career. Better than 1986, 24-4. Better than yep. uh, 1990, 21-6. Think about that. His best season, ERA plus, uh, you know, weighted, you know, against ballpark, league, era, everything. Best yep. season was not a very impressive one-loss record. So, DeGrom's not the first one here. Yep, he's not. Uh, Felix is the is the king of that. There's also the Nolan Ryan eight and sixteen with a two seventy RIA season. I think that's eighty seven uh, that he was uh, he was somewhat uh, statistically deprived, I guess, so to speak. Do you look back? What I what it's, this has all made me do is look back at Pedro Martinez and uh, and Greg Maddox, who who come up on the top ten pitching performances of all time, you know, depending on how you weight it with wins above replacement or ERA plus or yep. whatever you want to use. Pedro's 2000 best all time. Uh, Maddox, you know, number three and four, 94, 95. Uh, better than Bob Gibson. Another thing I'll throw out to you uh, with the Grom is I think the, and this was a stat that came out before his last two starts, I believe. The spread between league average ERA and Degrom is greater than Bob Gibson with his 1.12 ERA in 68, which everybody talks about. Yeah. So it's almost like yeah, you're putting him in that Gibson 68 plus mm-hmm. type of category. You know, it's kind of amazing on that. But it, I don't think there's anything wrong me, with that. It's really made me look at the numbers a lot. It's cool. It's definitely anything that can make you look at baseball history uh, in greater depth uh, is a good thing. David Wright's final game, I guess, would be Saturday. I don't know if they're going to do anything on Sunday with pinch hitting, but it looks like he's going to get a couple at-bats. Let's uh, get to David Wright. You, you, in the heart of what you uh, were doing at ESPN was, I guess, Wright's uh, zenith. Uh, yep. We all thought he'd be you know, the best met all time in every category. You know, Injuries de- you know, depleted that. Um, it would be interesting to see how this era is remembered. Of course, Wright is beloved. We know that. But I think the era of Mets baseball is very interesting to look at. Um, how do you look at Wright? You know, how do you look at Wright in context of the Mets? How do you look at him in context of he is a third baseman? And, and I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but can he at least sneak into the conversation five years down the road? Will they look past the injuries in the shortened career? Give me a little bit of your reflection on David Wright. I think he's in the triangle with uh, Piazza and Strawberry, uh, and it's a good uh, good place to be. Uh, I think for a six-year period, maybe it's a five, six-year period, uh, he was as good as they've had next to both of those guys uh, in terms of he played good defense, he could hit for average, he hit for a decent amount of power, uh, he could run, 
uh, he could uh, and he could throw. Uh, one of the saddest things was watching the, the, the deterioration of his throwing arm. Um, he could do a lot. He could do a lot of different things really well. Maybe not at the level of uh, Trevor Jones, but uh, at a very high level. Uh, and it's unfortunate what happened uh, with between the back and the neck and all the different things that have befallen him uh, the last couple of years. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to be a long. Uh, it's going to be interesting for him the rest of his life dealing with that stuff. Uh, but I think the memories are good. He represented the team extremely well in just about every way, both on and off the field. And I think that's all you can ask for. What about the era of Mets baseball? Reyes and Wright, 2006, they, they jump on the scene, and then you have the collapses, and then the Mets purgatory with the Madoff situation. And, and obviously Wright stuck around for the 2015 run to the World Series. Everybody remembers – the 69 Mets and the 73 Mets with fondness after the the paint dried, the eighties Mets, although they were disappointing, the 86 Mets are still beloved. The nineties Mets with Piazza, 99, 2000, 2001, there was disappointment there. And, and maybe there was only a couple of years there where they were real true contenders, but beloved. I'm not sure how this era right will be beloved, but this era Mets baseball 06 was followed by disappointment. 15 was nice, but they didn't capitalize on it, and there was a lot of losing in between. I don't think that's to be determined this weekend, but it'll be interesting how the fans look back, because I don't know if they look back, even though there were some fun moments during the last 15 years, with as much fondness as they do with some of those other eras. I hope that they'll remember to the 2006 Mets fondly, and it gets lost because of 2007 and 2008. But the 2006 Mets, I think you could probably make a pretty good case, were the third best Mets team uh, that they've that they've had behind '86 and '69. Uh, the 2006 Mets were supposed to win the World Series. They were built to win the World Series. They had the best team all season. They had some injuries at the end. They had some bad breaks that put them in a position where they had to start a guy with like a 6 ERA in Game Seven of the NLCS, uh, and they didn't close the deal. Uh, but I would hope that people will remember uh, the 2006 uh, team because you had a lot of guys at their best then uh, between Wright and Beltran and uh, Delgado uh, and LaDuca and Jose Valentin. Uh, to me, that that's that's my favorite team other than the 86 team, I would say. And it's unfortunate how it ended, and it set the tone for what was to come. I walked out of Chase Stadium after Game 7. I said to the person that I was with, I said, this is it. They're going to be chasing this game for the next long time. That, that, no, no bragging here, but that turned out to be true. Uh, but I think now, with a little distance removed, I hope that people remember it well. well that's very true. You know, 1999 is another season, not right-related. That always yes. is one of those. It's ended in losses. No, not take nothing me, away from that team. Uh, I, like, I like 06 a lot. And, and statistically, that 99 team – uh, was really good, and you can make the argument. Yes. Uh, you could great debate versus 2006, but outside of '86, um, and I and I don't think from a Pythagorean one loss record, you know, run differential. I don't know if they would fall. I have to, I haven't looked at that in a while. I know they're up there, um, but I think from just everything together, the eye test, everything, that team to me had everything. Starting pitching was a little light. Great bullpen, great offense, everyone clicking at one point. Just couldn't beat the Braves, so that that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's, that's fun debate. You bring up something interesting there. Hey, um, 
David Wright, any case that you think to get him, maybe not, you know, five years after with the BBWAA writers, he'll be on the ballot a while. I think he'll get enough votes to stay on a while. But does he sneak in at some point? You know, third base, I look at it, you got Schmidt, you got Eddie Matthews, you got Wade Boggs, you got Chipper, you got Brooks Robinson and Ron Santo. Um, I, I'm guessing Adrian Beltre will be voted in once he retires. Um, yep. You know, I know that there's, it's, it's a stretch, but he's in that Scott Rowland, Greg Nettles. There's uh, not a lot of third basemen in the Hall of Fame. Can you make the argument for him being that Ron Santos in the Hall of Fame that may be right? Sneaks in there. I mean, there's some precedent. I don't think I know he has dangerous. longevity. Right. I don't right. think I he has. I don't think he has the longevity to get in uh, in terms of uh, seasons of excellence. Um, I think he needed uh, at least a couple. I don't. I don't think he's necessarily first in line. Uh, I would say that there are a lot of people that I would put in ahead of David Wright. There are a lot of third basemen that I think are are probably uh, as highly qualified, if not. More qualified. And you're right about third base being a uh, position that, uh, yeah, shoot, it's a it's a position that has been under honored, uh, so to speak. But I, if that happens, I would be very surprised. I think he comes up uh, just a little bit short there, and, and really just due to the injuries. If he had stayed healthy, there's a system. Jay Jaffe has a system, Jonas, which ranks uh, players based on their wins above replacement. David Wright ranks as the 23rd best third baseman of all time. There are a bunch of guys in front of him, including, as you said, Roland, Edgar Martinez, who's DH2, Greg Nettles, Ken Boyer, Buddy Bell, uh, Dick Allen, Robin, even Robin Ventura is ahead of uh, David Wright yep. in terms of accumulated performance. Uh, so it's a hard sell, even for me, who would really like to back something like that. Uh, it's a hard sell. Unless maybe he has a great career as a manager. That's that's very fair. You know, from a, a statistical standpoint, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. I mean, the Mets season has been such an extreme case of statistical anomalies. You got the whole DeGrom situation. You got how some of these guys like Rosario and Conforto are so awful at City Field. And then you look at their road numbers. And I know the Fangraphs, I, I, I had David Laurel on the, on the show the other day, but I know Fangraphs did a um, – uh, an analysis on City Field, and there's even some talk that maybe the way they store the balls is impacting the offense at, at City Field. You got the 11 and one start, you got the 62 Mets level performance in June, and then you have a pretty decent yep. second half where you can make the argument that in between that sandwich, if they only played a little bit better, maybe this gets interesting, right? Maybe they're 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 not winning the division, but maybe there's some talk of of, of a, a somewhat of a pennant race. It's been they weren't as bad as they were on their worst day. And they weren't as good as yeah. they were on their best day. Yeah, isn't it? That's but isn't it, it been such an odd season for them? Is have you? I've never seen anything like this. This this extremism that I've seen with the split, yeah. the home road, and the one loss. It's weird. I think the good thing though is that it will leave you with hope uh, going into next year, at least. Unless you're, uh, I'm, I'm, I tend to run pretty pessimistic, uh, and I would say that I have a hopefulness uh, because of the fact that they have three. A plus starters. They're one of probably a couple of teams in baseball that can say that they have three A plus starters. They feel good about what they have at second base with the way that McNeil has played. They feel good about what they have in the corners uh, with Conforto and Nimmo. Uh, they feel they feel optimistic about someone like Lugo and Gasol. Uh, the the they are they feel good enough about what they have at third base. Uh, 
or shortstop. They're close. What they need is a bullpen that is respectable, and they need players who will stay healthy for 130 to 140 games because they just they don't seem to do well with that. Uh, that, that seems to be a, a bit of a problem. But I think they are uh, they are at least respectably close. Uh, bullpens are very fickle. They could put together a bullpen that you might hate, and it could turn out to be great. Uh, so it's very much uh, uh, wait and see for them. But you got to feel good with those three starters coming back. That's an optimistic. I think most Mets fans would take that, uh, you know, building on that into the offseason. All right, before we wrap up, Saturday night, you know, are you going to be at the game, watching the game? <laughs> what will be going through your mind as you see David Wright take the field next to Jose Reyes, final time? I'm sure there's going to be some kind of, you know, walk-off ovation. I'm sure the Mets are scripting it as we speak or have scripted already. Maybe him and Jose walk off together. An era of Mets baseball, even though it didn't lead to a championship, still deserves, like you said, to be up on the mantle You know, as in, in Mets history. What's going to be going through your mind? Where are you going to be? What are you thinking of? What do you, what do you, what do you think Saturday is going to transpire? <laughs> well, what, are you, what are you anticipating? Uh, I will be there. Uh, the, the manner in which I'm there is, I guess, to be determined. Uh, but I think it'll be really cool. I think uh, I... I my primary worry is that he gets up there in his first at bat and he's just totally overmatched by a guy who's throwing 95-96. So uh, I I would hope that he gets a, a reasonable shot at it. The guy hasn't played in the major leagues in two years plus, and you're going to ask him to take two at bats in a game on what probably won't be a great weather uh, situation. Uh, I'm going to put Reyes aside because I think that's the same thing. Uh, but it will just—it'll be cool. It'll be nostalgic. Uh, it'll be fun, and it'll be sad because uh, at least I guess the good thing is you know it's the end. Um, it's good to know. It's good to be able to say goodbye. And in this case, uh, I think uh, people will really be into it. And as much as we know he can't play, I'm glad at least this wasn't in Port St. Lucie in March. Like if he tried to come back and he said, "All right, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to try one more time in spring training," and then next spring he hit. 120 in spring training in the LA David and the press conference is somewhere in Port St. Lucie on March 25th. Uh, you know, it, it, listen, we'd still be nostalgic and all that stuff, but you wouldn't get this. So at the very least, you wouldn't get this if they were in a pennant race, but you have a chance to get this and he walks off. I guess that's a better situation. Sad nonetheless, but at least you're not dealing with doing this in Florida in, in March when it's so, you know, Agreed. it's so impersonal. The fans and, clearly yeah. want to say goodbye. Right. Exactly. And you'll be there. Hey, uh, let, let, let the fans know. So I know that, you know, we do a Met centric show, but you have a book about the Yankees. What are you up to now? Let them know where they could find you. Uh, at Mark A. Sure. Simon says on Twitter, give us all the information yep, as uh, you head out there. I work for Sports Info Solutions as a uh, research analyst. Uh, I actually work uh, with a number of broadcast crews, uh, providing them data and information that helps make their broadcasts sound a little bit smarter. Uh, and uh, that's that's one of my things, along with writing for The Athletic and a number of other uh, writing projects that I do uh, with them full-time there in uh, suburban Pennsylvania. And it's great. You can find them at sports, uh, sportsinfo underscore S-I-S. Uh, and uh, it's my heart is always with New York baseball writing, whether it be Mets or uh, Yankees. And yes, the book uh, Yankees Index, uh, you can find it not many places now. Uh, you can find it on Amazon.com. You can buy it used and uh, hopefully enjoy it if you get it. Mark, 
been a pleasure. Enjoy Saturday. Always like getting these statistical contexts with you. It's been a while. We caught up. Glad we can do it. Let's do it again. All right, my friend? Thanks, Mike. All right. Mark Simon, at Mark A. Simon says, uh, good stuff, uh, Sports Info Solutions. Let's take a quick break, wrap up, give you my uh, final thoughts, and uh, talk about uh, the Colin show, which I promised, and, and hopefully we can get some good participation on Sunday after the uh, end of the season. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today we're back talking Mets podcast final thoughts here on this uh, late, Matt, really midweek, late week podcast, just uh, some context after listening to Mark Simon. And I know that some of you in the audience probably don't have, because I'm certainly not. I like to look at the numbers and I have a concept of what they are, but figuring it out and deep, di- doing a deep dive, that's not me. But just real quick, the numbers that I like to look at when it comes to some of these uh, comparisons or even just to dive into these pictures, you know, you have the wind shares, which is, is pretty basic. Everyone kind of values, they take a, a, a bunch of the numbers and 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 put like a, a share a wind share attachment to it derivative basically uh, you got fielding independent pitching which just focuses on a pitcher's strikeouts walks home runs hit batsmen like nothing that is out of their control the concept behind that is that this is their ERA if you take out the things like you know base hits that potentially could be due to shifts and bad bounces and things like that. And then you have ERA Plus, which just adjusts to the player's league and ballpark because obviously Bob Gibson in 1968 is a lot different than uh, pitching in the steroid era like uh, Pedro Martinez did, and he was awesome. I mean, you start to think about and you look at the numbers that Pedro established in 1999-2000. Forget the steroids in that because I hate that narrative, but the – the DH and, and and the amount of offense even bad teams at that time were putting out there. You know, you'd go in and, and, and scoring four or five runs. Everybody can do that, really. Uh, even bad uh, Kansas City Royal teams and things like that. So, um, you know, those are some of the numbers I like to look at. It is really, from the Cy Young perspective, DeGrom, Nola, Scherzer. Uh, basically, DeGrom and Nola, if you look at baseball reference, they're, they're, they're even in win shares. They're worth the same amount of wins to their team. 9.8, almost 10 wins each of them. Uh, Scherzer's at 9, so he's about a full win share less. Um, but when you come to ERA+, plus, which adjusts for you know league and ballpark, when you do, you know it's really looking at league average versus where he is. DeGrom's at 219, which at league average is 100. That means he's more than double 
the average player. Guys like Nolan Scherzer are about 70% higher, 170 for uh, than the average. 170 for Nola, 168 for Scherzer. And right behind them is, like I said, Kyle Freeland, a guy who's won 16 games and uh, quietly has put up numbers where at Coors Field he's got an ERA in the low twos. He's actually better at Coors Field than he is on the road, which is really, really amazing. So DeGrom had some competition. You know, the 10-9, and 9, he really had to be great, and he was. And it sounds like from the straw poll out there that He's going to win the Cy Young Award. I think there's now that, like, and I was wrong. I wrote that piece over at MetsmerizedOnline.com about there not being a narrative. And I think in, in early August when I did that, or mid-August, I can't remember when exactly I wrote that, there wasn't. He was a, he had a losing record. The numbers were far closer. But so much has changed, and I think the national attention about this, I think the, the fact that he's a good guy, uh, even heard that from Mark Simon. He's a good guy. He's a clean-cut guy. He's a family guy. Um, you know, he's not—he's not this you know in-your-face, you know, unlikable character. I think that uh, that that helps. That has to help. But it, it is interesting to think that if Scherzer had not won the Cy Youngs, he's won about three, I believe, one in the American League and two actually won with the Tigers in 2013. He had a great season that year too. And um, he won back-to-back in 16-17 with the Nats. And then, of course, this year, I mean, that's a dominant pitcher. And the fact that he that he already won it, I think, may play a little bit into DeGrom's favor. I don't think a lot, but a little bit into DeGrom's favor. And then, of course, Nola, who's had a great year, the fact that the Phillies have kind of fallen out of it. And uh, his peripherals are, are not quite as good when you start to dive into them still good not quite as good I, I think that you have pretty much a no-brainer but Freeland is the guy I mean you bring him into the equation uh, not that he'd win the Cy Young but what he's done with Colorado he should get some consideration to be in the top uh, maybe not a hot head of Nolan Scherzer but you might be able to make the argument of him you know over Nola even though Nola has some really good numbers because of the the, the cores effect so it'll be interesting to see how the voters go and and play into that so um, that's all good, good and well, and, and we'll see how the voting goes, and, and that'll be something we'll talk about later on. You're not going to get that for a while, but it looks like uh, Jacob deGrom gave Mets fans one final nugget to enjoy in this uh, very difficult season, very odd season, let's put it that way. All right, what's going to happen with the show? Uh, my plan is um, 7.30 on Sunday night. Live call in seven thirty to nine. Live call in ninety minute live call in show. No guests, just you guys. Uh, I'll talk to our buddy Joe D over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Get some promotion of that. Uh, hopefully, you guys, you were really great last time. You behaved the last two call in shows. Nobody got any silliness, and it's not about debate. It's about having good quality conversation, not this, you know, inappropriate jokes and stuff. It doesn't bother me. It's just it ruins the podcast and you give me some work. That's what really bothers me because then I have to go edit it out after for the uh, the feed and all that other stuff. So 7.30 Sunday, this Sunday, uh, that is the, 20, the 30th, the last day of September. And what will be interesting is that Jeff Wilpon is supposed to speak to the media as well. So there might be some uh, additional news. And that's why I wanted to do this because I wanted it to be about DeGrom, my thoughts on DeGrom. And, and really set up the right thing and get Mark Simon on and maybe play with numbers a little bit and, and things like that. So um, 
you know, that's the thing. On one final note on that Pedro thing, I was just thinking about that. Not the greatest way to end the show, but do you realize the best season of all time, the 2000 Pedro Martinez season, I was just looking at it on the screen while I was doing the wrap-up. A 291 ERA plus, almost three times better than league average. 18-6, and six, actually lost six times, 284 strikeouts, and um, an ERA of 1.74. Even more impressive is if you go to Pedro's 1999, his fielding independent pitching, in the which means it's just the home runs, the strikeouts, the walks, 1.39. I had 2.07 ERA, not as good as in 2000. Similar win shares to DeGrom this year, 20, uh, 23 and 4 that year. But uh, almost Bob Gibson-esque as far as fielding independent pitching in the American League with the DH. And Dwight Gooden, Dwight Gooden, uh, 229 ERA plus, better than the Groms. Uh, you know, probably a better season, and mainly because he was in the pennant race. Uh, he was in the pennant race with, um, with that 85 team, and I think you got to give the nod to him. But that's a really fun debate, really interesting debate. Didn't get too much into that in the open. It was more I wanted to make about DeGrom, but very, very interesting debate. Um, I think I give it to Gooden, but DeGrom, um, if this team was in a pennant race, and, and, and if DeGrom, like I said, it was a call to WFAN that said if the, the Mets had just scored two runs in a, in, a, in a number of his starts, he'd be 20-6, and six, and then there might actually be some real meat and potatoes to debate DeGrom versus Gooden. But anyway, uh, we're out of time. Appreciate you tuning in. Of course, uh, check 7.30 on uh, Sunday night, September 30th, live call-in show. Be there. I want to thank all the gold folks at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Thank you to Mark Simon, Sports Info Solutions, at Mark A. Simon Says on Twitter. Check out, uh, out him and all his work that he does. Of course, you can check me out all the time at Mike Silva Media. You can check me out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast in a couple of days. Live call and show on Sunday. Be well. Till then, take care.